The reading this evening is from Romans chapter 4 and it's taken from the message translation. So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right, instead of trying to be right on his own. If you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if, if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do, and you trust him to do it, you could never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. Sheer gift. David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. Fortunate those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. Do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. Now, think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant right of circumcision? That's right, before he was marked. That means he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself an act of God he had embraced with his whole life. And it means further that Abraham is father of all people who embrace what God does for them while they are still on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as God's in an uncircumcised condition. It is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision, not just because of the ritual, but because they are willing to live in the risky faith embrace of God's action for them, the way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. That famous promise God gave Abraham that he and his children would possess the earth 
was not given because of something Abraham did or would do. It was based on God's decision to put everything together for him, which Abraham then entered when he believed. If those who get what God's give them only get it by doing everything they are told to do and filling out all the right forms properly signed that eliminates personal trust completely and turns the promise into an ironclad contract. That's not a holy promise, that's a business deal. A contract drawn up by a hard-nosed lawyer and with plenty of fine print only makes sure that you will never be able to collect. But if there is no contract in the first place, simply a promise, and God's promise at that, you can't break it. That is why the fulfilment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way, and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father to us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He is our faith father. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do, raise the dead to life with a word made something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding not to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made a father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham didn't focus on his own impotence and say, it's hopeless, This hundred-year-old body could never father a child. Nor did he survey Sarah's decades of infertility and give up. He didn't tiptoe around God's promise, asking cautiously sceptical questions. He plunged into the promise and came up strong, ready for God, sure that God would make good on what he said. That's why it is said, Abraham was declared fit before God by trusting God to set him right. But it's not just Abraham, it's also us. The same thing gets said about us when we embrace and believe the one who brought Jesus to life when the conditions were equally hopeless. The sacrificed Jesus made us fit for God, sets us right with God. That's the end of the lesson. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that you will open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what it is 
that you wish to place it in our hearts tonight. Amen. Good evening and welcome to chapter 4 of Romans. And there are a lot of words, aren't there? That's what I thought as I listened to that. (laughs) But like all good serials, there's time for a recap. Because we've been in Romans week after week, haven't we? Just for this this is our fourth week. So I just want to do a really brief recap. Paul has taken his readers on a journey, hasn't he? And the theme running through the book is all about righteousness. All about that righteousness that comes from God and how to be right with him. And Paul has introduced us to this. And then he's shown how we were all unrighteous. We're all not right with God. And it doesn't matter if we have a Jewish heritage or, um, or not. Everybody needs this being right with God. And it is provided for everybody who believes. So in chapter 3 last week, Paul spoke of the fact that although there were many advantages from being a Jew, it didn't mean that the Jews were in a better position than anyone else. No one was right with him, Jew or not. None of the things that anybody did were going to be counted right before God. We were all silent before him. And then Paul introduced the means of being in the right place with God. Now, he said, through the gift of Jesus Christ, we can be right with God. And it's our faith in Jesus that lifts us out of our eternal inability to meet God's standards. It's the gift of Jesus that wipes away our debt. He restored us to where he wanted us to be through Jesus and his life and death and resurrection. So that was sort of the story so far. And having introduced that amazing fact last week, and Paul started to help his readers understand that concept for themselves, I think in chapter 4, Paul then goes on to apply what he just explained to them once in the context of themselves. He explains it again in the context of the life of Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish faith. So, the introduction to chapter 4 is, and now Paul says, so how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things, which was what he explained last week. He's aware that his readers are going to need time to adjust their perspective. So who was Abraham? Well, Abraham was a familiar figure, and I'm sure Abraham is a very familiar figure to you. In fact, there have been several excellent talks on Abraham. If you look on the website, there are about four, I think, from the mornings um, the morning so far. But to summarise, he was the founding father for the Jews. He had that special relationship between the Jewish people and God. And if you read in Genesis, um, starting from perhaps chapter 12, God asked Abraham, Abraham as he was then, to leave his home and his country and he makes him a promise. He makes him three promises. 
the promise of a relationship with him, the promise of numerous descendants, and the promise of a land. And Abraham, in a time where God wasn't known, said yes and went. And that's just the beginning of the story. He was a man of faith and action, a man of great renown and held in high esteem, whose life demonstrated great faith and whose story was a fundamental building block in the establishment of the Jewish people. So in chapter 3, Paul, having begun to explain why his readers' previous assumptions about being right with God for themselves weren't correct, takes the natural step and sort of takes the best example they have to try out the new theory and ask if the reasoning also holds true if it really applies to Abraham too, their forefather. The best example of earning God's approval by what he did. Someone who really might have someone boast, boast about. Someone who really was somebody. So he's introducing this new way, faith in Jesus, the only way back to God, applying that to Abraham. So, slide two. What do you think this is? Anybody got any ideas? It's nothing to do with Abraham, by the way. And the Eiffel Tower, was that Chris? Any other offers? It is, in fact, the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and I think if you, if you know it's the Eiffel Tower, then you can probably see that if you've seen the Eiffel Tower before. You can probably imagine that that's the, a view of the Eiffel Tower from the underneath. But it looks very different, doesn't it, to the, to the normal way of looking at something. So sometimes looking at a different angle means that we see things in a new way. So I've got another slide, slide three. Now, I don't know if you'll be able to see this. So what we've got is, there's a, this is a picture of the ocean, cross-section really, and there's a little boat at the top, which isn't very clear to you. But you can, you can imagine that the view of the little boat is of this sort of rocky island over there but actually what is happening is we have got a huge whale now if you're in the boat just thinking you've got a little rocky island to one side of your boat you might think about or feel differently than if you realized you've got this massive whale actually who is just protruding upwards the point being is that Sometimes adding new information can also change our perspective. It isn't just looking at something in a different way. Sometimes you learn something else and it changes the way that you see some things. And I, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Paul's um, challenge and mission to help his hearers see things in a new way, it made me, me think about how many times, those of you who are old and you can define 
what old is, completely yourself. But how many times in adult life have you changed your mind about something fundamental, having made up your mind already? Because actually, when I started thinking about it, I was thinking perhaps we don't do that very often. Once, once we're adult and we're settled, it takes quite a lot for us to change our perspective and our opinion on things which are substantial. And so that's the sort of task, I'm, 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 I guess I'm saying, of Paul, that, that in preaching this new message, it wasn't an easy message or a hard message just because it was a hard thing to think about. It was hard because it was moving and seeking to help people see things in a new light. So I've got four, four short sections today to draw out uh, from this passage. And I've put up the message on a slide, the little bits that we're, uh, we're going to use. Um, so the relevant part of the passage, really, because there's an awful lot of Romans 4, we're not going to do it verse by verse. You'll be glad to know. So the first section is... Uh, have you got it? I don't know if you can see that. Oh, no, you can't see that. Sorry about that. It's given, not earned, basically. This is the key message. Paul says, perhaps, if Abraham was really justified before God because of what he'd done, which was a popular thought at the time, he would have something to boast about. He would have um, earned his reward. But that that isn't it at all. He rejects it as a possibility because it's so unbelievable that people would boast in front of other human beings or in front of God that they were good enough to be right with God. And even Abraham, he's saying, even Abraham, our forefather, our founding father of the faith, did not think that he could boast in front of God. You know, he calls God sovereign, um, his king. He wasn't in a position of boasting to God. No, says Paul, Abraham was put right with God, not by boasting, just by believing, by believing in God who made promises to him and he trusted him to put it right. He definitely didn't earn it, he says. He says, not like at the end of the week or the month when you get paid for doing a paid job. And in that context, if you don't do your job, you don't get paid. He didn't work for it, and he couldn't expect to be paid. In God's realm, Paul said, Abraham was made right with God as a free, unearned gift of grace by trusting God, full stop. And that's really, really important, actually, that it was given, not earned. So even for him, even for Abraham, he says, Paul says to his listeners, he was given that, it wasn't earned. And I I wonder if you look around you, you'll find that the world by default, I think, thinks the other way round, thinks that everything has to be earned and not given. Money, respect, exam results, 
trust. A body which looks like you spend all day in the gym and you eat grapefruit for every meal. There's nothing that is a gift. Everything has to be earned. So this is really countercultural, but it is a fundamental uh, part of our faith. God's way is given, not earned. And Paul was saying this was a fundamental fact even for Abraham. So the second thing is, it's given and not earned, and it's a thing that happens on the inside, not on the outside. Paul goes on to explain that although Abraham practiced the rites and the um, rituals that were ordained, circumcision, for example, these things in themselves were not the important thing. It was not what made Abraham right with God. And it's all about perspective again. The actions represented what had already happened on the inside. But it's a very easy mistake to make, isn't it? And I think perhaps it's something that perhaps we even slip into nowadays. So, and, and maybe we do it for different reasons. Um, sometimes we fall into using outside behaviours and habits as a yardstick of something else. I don't know if you've ever asked the question. I know I have. I've asked somebody, do you go to church? That's probably not my question. That's not really what I want to know. But um, perhaps it's easier or less exposing or less personal than to ask outright what somebody believes or uh, whether they have a faith or um, do they know Jesus for themselves. Sometimes even inside a church we might fall inside uh, into that, that way. You know, we, we look at people's behaviour and, you know, think about whether people have been to church or to home group or seen at other events and perhaps use it as a way of trying to understand what's happening on the inside. But actually, it's what's happening on the inside that is the important thing, and that is what uh, Paul is saying to Abraham about Abraham, that it's what's on the inside. So uh, if we have the next slide, yeah, you know, a balloon flies, a hot air balloon flies because of what's happening on the inside. Even though it's a wonderfully dramatic thing in, in, in the sky, it, it flies because of the fire, doesn't it, that, that lifts it up. And um, what you see if you're scanning the horizon and you see those balloons rising, you don't see, usually, the fire that is lifting that balloon. You see the effect. But actually, you wouldn't have the effect without the thing that's happening on the inside. And that's what Paul was trying to say, even about Abraham, even though amazing things happened on the outside. It was what happened on the inside that generated that. And then, um, so that internal thing matters enormously, even with Abraham. And then Paul takes another step, and he says, 
This must be, have been quite hard, actually. He says it's inclusive, it's not exclusive. He says Abraham is the father of all people who embrace God, um, what God does for them. That was quite a different way of looking at Abraham and being part of Abraham's family for the people who were listening. Because if there are others who are receiving righteousness through trusting God, what is their relationship with Abraham? Whilst ever they thought, his hearers thought that Abraham was their racial father, of course there would be people who could not be uh, part of that family. But Paul says, Abraham is our faith father, the father of all who embrace God. I don't know if some of you will uh, perhaps remember that passage in Luke um, when John the Baptist was talking to the people who were coming out for baptism. And this just illustrates how being a a child of Abraham was considered a a thing which was very important and something to be proud of. And he said, um, John said to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise children of Abraham from these stones Just the fact that John used that as an example of what people might say to show their standing means that to be a child of Abraham was considered to be uh, quite an exclusive thing. So I wonder what it feels like or might have felt like uh, to realise that your family, which you thought was very exclusive, probably wasn't as exclusive as uh, you might think. So I wonder if it felt, for example, like your exclusive club, which could be the club made up of American ex-presidents. Probably not that many people in that club, are there? Has been somewhat watered down and diluted by everybody who shopped at Tesco and Lidl. What does being in being one person in a group of ten feel like in comparison to being one person in a group of a million? It must have been a hard message to hear. Would you think your voice is less important or you won't have any influence? Or maybe the club might be a bit different? Of course, if you're one of the people who's admitted to the club of ex-presidents, you might feel different. You might be interested in the benefits of the ex-president's club. My point is, I think, to show you that actually this is a hard message to hear. It's a hard message to hear. And it's a wonderful thing for people who embrace God to become part of that family but it also required a change in perspective to those people who were already part of the club. The good news is there's no dilution with God to the opening of Abraham's family to all who accept God in their lives. The other people in the club don't get fewer benefits 
because of the new people who have been admitted. Everybody gets the same benefits. Likewise, it's not because of the pedigree of who we are, how long we've worshipped at All Saints, or the family lineage that takes us back to being baptised, confirmed and buried over several generations here that gives us a place in the family. It is our trust and faith in Jesus. And it struck me that there will be family members that we still haven't met. And lastly, Paul says, it is hope for the hopeless. Towards the end of Romans 4, Paul goes back to Abraham to show how much faith he really had. It wasn't a small step of trust like those when you don't really have any evidence to believe that it won't happen. It's more likely than not to happen. Like, it's easy to trust, for example, that we'll have some rain this week. That doesn't take a high degree of trust. But this was massive. A hundred-year-old body and a history of infertility between him and Sarah. There was no way of looking at that situation with rose-tinted spectacles that would make it look any better or an easy thing. Abraham trusted when all looked hopeless and the message say he plunged into the promise. It's an all-in attitude. This was the one thing that Abraham did and had which changed everything. It was the one thing actually that he had control over. Our physical bodies aren't 100% reliable. We see brokenness and difficulty all around and much of it not under our control. Clearly it's not just our bodies and minds but our families, our workplaces, our communities, our places of education, they're all susceptible to brokenness. But like Abraham, we have a choice to make, and only God can deliver on the promise. So we can choose to look around at our failings and our failures personally and in our world and say, well, all is hopeless, all is beyond redemption. We can never be good enough for God, do enough for God, or find a way back to him. We can't by ourselves. But there is a way, and Abraham was that example. Our hope comes from being all in, from trusting God. And now, says Paul, the sacrifice of Jesus made us fit for God, set us right with God, if we have faith to trust God for it. So I hope you'll see as we've sort of cantered or galloped really through chapter 4 that Paul is putting the theory to the test against the best example of the Jewish faith. He's hoping to change perspective. He's giving them new information. If we put ourselves in the place of Paul's first hearers, the first real clear line is that being right with God is a gift. A gift to them, a gift to Abraham. 
He needed to trust God for his promises and that was why he was made right with God. Secondly, just as Paul had said that following the traditional ways and behaviours didn't make any difference to Abraham getting God's gift of being right, in the light of the gift of Jesus, neither does that make a difference now to receiving that gift for us. And what's more, shockingly, even those who didn't follow those ways could also receive God's gift through trusting him. And that's true in our day and age too. It's what's happening on the inside in any individual life with Jesus, which is the important thing. And thirdly, Paul says, to add to these revelations, Abraham's family is bigger than they previously thought. There are others who are trusting God with their lives who are also part of the family. And hope was not overcome by hopelessness. For Abraham and for us, the only thing that mattered here was Abraham's complete faith in God. God set Abraham right with him through Abraham's trust. And now it is Jesus who has set us right with God. And not only us, but all who believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your gift to us that enables us to know you in the right way, to be right with you and to walk alongside you. We pray that you will continue to transform us and teach us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.